I uh, meant to tell everyone earlier, and I forgot, because as you get to be my age, things start to slip a little bit, so stay young. But today is Family Sunday, so if you look around and you see our young folks in here, every fifth Sunday, I'm sorry, every, uh, yes, every fifth Sunday, um, fourth Sunday, I'll get, I told you, my brain's slipping. We do Family Sunday. We bring the kids in. We like to worship with them. We like to have communion with them. We like to have, let them see us give our tithes and our offerings. A uh, couple of things. One, it gives you an opportunity as parents to have some conversation with your kids about why we do some of the things that we do later on in the day. And so every fourth Sunday, we like to bring in our young folks. We like to worship with them. We like to do some things like that. So today is officially Family Sunday. Um, um, that song that we sang is probably one of the most perfect introduction songs for the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning. Um, what do you know about circumstances? Speak up. What? Change. They change. Circumstances change. Have you ever heard this saying, well, they're just a victim of circumstance. Yeah. You see, the thing about circumstances is they can throw us a curveball. And sometimes when, when something pops up, when that circumstance happens, it just defeats us. But a spiritually mature person, when that happens, they can be seen by how well they handle the circumstance, no matter what it is. And we're going to talk about that today. And some of the, the, the verses from that song just kind of spoke to me because I know what's coming. Y'all will get it later. You'll be like, oh, that was a good song. But I was like, wow, that just kind of speaks to everything I'm about to say. Because it's how we handle circumstances, the things that affect us. Maybe it's with mood changes. Maybe you start out, you're having a great day. Something happens. Bam, day's ruined. Everybody is now your enemy. You're grouchy to everyone. It happens. We, sometimes we'll go from mild to severe in a nanosecond. The one thing that a disciple must do as we mature in Christ is we need to learn to live above our circumstances. We need to focus on keeping our witness for Christ strong and mature. This is the subject that we're going to zero in on this morning as we look at the building blocks for a mature witness. They, a mature witness, they share the gospel. They hold no room in their life for things like jealousy and envy. They possess the assurance of a happy ending. And this month, We've been looking at Philippians chapter 1 and in, the, in the opening of our foundation series. Matter of fact, you were supposed to be reading through the whole book of Philippians this month. Who's been doing that? Me and Janet. Okay. I'm sorry. There's a few of you. All right. Well done. The rest of you, you got a couple days left until the month is out. Read through the book of Philippians. You're missing some solid foundational things in there. I hope that you'll, you'll do that if you haven't. And if you have been doing it, I hope you will continue. But I want to keep everything in context this morning. And so... Uh, the first part of this month I preached on like verses 1 through uh, like 15 or something. But today we're going to read through Philippians 1 verses 1 through 21. And then I'm going to break down and focus on verses 12 through 21 as we look at the building blocks for a mature witness. I'm going to focus on three things today. Three things that a mature witness does this morning. If you're looking for some, a little bit of note outline, here's what a mature witness does. You can write these down. It shares the gospel, is not jealous, and possesses the assurance of happy ending. I'll repeat those for you. A mature witness shares the gospel. A mature witness is not jealous. And a mature witness possesses the assurance of a happy ending. With that being said, let's dive into Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in, my, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that the most, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19 says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I'm going to break down that last part because Paul shares some amazing things with the Philippian church. Let's look at this. Starting with the thought that a mature witness shares the gospel. In verses 12 through 14, Paul shares he's facing dark circumstances. He's, he's a prisoner in Rome. I don't know if you know a lot about being a prisoner in Rome, but this dark circumstance was staring Paul right in the face day in and day out. No circumstance could be any more severe, no matter what they were, in my opinion. Paul is waiting to appear before the Supreme Court of Rome, basically. He's facing a trial before Nero, the Roman emperor, and he was innocent. He had done nothing that should cause his arrest and imprisonment. Yet here he is, waiting the arrival of his Jewish prosecutors with their trumped up and malicious charges. True, he had some privileges. He was able to rent his own house. He wasn't allowed to work, but he was able to rent his own house. He was allowed visitors. And even the privileges he had were minor when the strains of his sufferings are seen for what they are. He was imprisoned for over two years. I don't think any type of imprisonment would be um, a good circumstance, if you will, whether it's house arrest. And we like to refer to this time in Paul's life. Well, he was just under house arrest. He still couldn't go anywhere. I'm going to get into that. He was in prison for two years. 
And is the case with any prisoner, the days just wear on ever so slowly, hour by hour, day after day. And whatever pressure hangs over a man's head who is awaiting a trial that is to de- determine whether he will live or die is what's hanging over Paul's head as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church. But I want you to notice something here. This is what Paul did not do. He didn't grumble or complain. He didn't question God. He didn't wonder, why me? He didn't whine and murmur. He didn't fall to pieces. He didn't curse God. And he never, ever gave up his faith. You see, Paul chose to use his dark circumstances to spread the gospel. He didn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome or of Nero, but he saw himself as a prisoner for Jesus Christ. In Acts 28.20, Paul says he was bound with this chain. And in Ephesians 6.20, he refers to himself as an ambassador in chains. The word used here for chains is halusis. And the halusis, it's the small length of chain that bound a prisoner to the wrist of a guard so that they wouldn't be able to, get to escape. All right, so just imagine this for a minute. Paul's under house arrest, but he refers to himself as being in chains. He refers to this, this halusis. He's bound to a Roman guard every day, every night, for over two years. What do you suppose Paul talked about with these guards every day and night for two years? Yeah, he tells us. He says, what's happened to me, my circumstances have really served to advance the gospel. Look at verses 12 through 14. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Do you see this? Paul has taken his circumstance and not a real positive one. And he's used it to advance the gospel. Not just to one or two people, to the whole Praetorian Guard, the palace of the emperor, if you will, and all other places around him. Paul, his his imprisonment and his stand for Christ and the gospel that he preached became the conversation throughout this area of Rome for two years, give or take. The conversation among all the, the social circles where they kept a stiff arm and a pinky up when they sipped their tea. That's what they were talking about. The upper crust of proper society, if you will. The very palace of the emperor himself. And what Paul is teaching us here is that a mature witness must never allow our circumstances to get us down. Never let them defeat us or our testimony and our witness for Christ. Never let our circumstances defeat the gospel that we're called to share with others. Now, I'm not saying that when something just pops up, you don't get to say, oh, man, this really stinks. That's I get that. We have, we have a, a knee-jerk reaction to life, and it happens. But when you really get into your circumstance, whatever it may be, as mature witnesses, as a reflection of Christ, we shouldn't let our circumstance defeat the gospel that we are called to share with others. No matter what they are, persecution, loss of a loved one, accidents, rejection, disease, failure, imprisonment, financial loss, age, abuse, divorce, bankruptcy, poverty, surgery, in case I missed one, just sin in general. If we are living for Christ, we must know that God will strengthen us to bear whatever circumstances are going to fall upon us. We must, like Paul, strive to use that circumstance, no matter what it is, to witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ to the eternal hope that he gives to the forgiveness he offers and the opportunity for us to live with him forever. See, Christians, we are called to witness all around us. 
whether we're lying in a bed of sickness, we're in the midst of facing death or money problems or being abused or persecuted. I, I got to tell you this, and, and I, I've told some people this, something I got into the habit of just a few years ago. As you know, those of you who know me, I've had a few procedures. <laughs> Mitzi says some people like to go to Disney World every year. I like to take a trip to the hospital. Like the last eight years, I've gone to the hospital every year. We're hoping to break that trend in 2018. But it happens. And, and most of those trips to the hospital have resulted in some sort of a procedure. A procedure is what somebody else calls an operation. They call it a procedure, but for you it's an operation. But if they knock you out. Something I got into the habit of when I've knowing that I'm going into a procedure, as I, I write out thank you notes the day before. Uh, I remember when I had my hip replaced, the doctor came in. He said, it's early morning. I was the first one on the table. He said, how are you doing this morning? Did you sleep well? I said, that's not the right question. I need to be asking if you slept well. You got like two and a half hours of pulling on my leg. <laughs> I need to know that you're well rested. I said, hey, I got this for you. It's just, you know, I said, thank you for studying before you ever knew me. Thank you for being good at what you do. Thank you for, for taking care. Yeah, I'm going to pay you, you know, $70,000 for my bionic leg, but... I'm glad you know your stuff, <laughs> and I've been praying for you. I had the same thing. I, they wheeled me into the operating room, and I haven't told the doctor, I said, hey, I got a note for the operating team, and I said, can you give it to him? He said, no, you can give it to him, and I was like, we're not worried about that sterility stuff? He said, no, nah, it's just a hip, you know. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I get in there, and I asked who was in charge, and one of the nurses, I said, hey, I, I got this for you, and I even wrote in there, I don't know any of you, but, but you're about to spend a few hours with me. And first off, I apologize for that. <laughs> Second off, thank you. I hope you're well. I hope your family is well. And I've been praying for you this last week leading up to this. Same thing. The, the next morning, I, and I wrote these before anesthesia and morphine and all that stuff was in my body because you, you never know what you're going to say then. But I spent the night on morphine. The lady came in at five o'clock in the next morning and said, hey, it's time to get up. We got to take you to, to physical therapy. I had a card for all the nurses that were going to take care of me for the next four days. I said, hey, I brought this in for you. It's the same thing. I don't know you. You don't know me. Hopefully, I'm not whiny. <laughs> you didn't. You are. Now that I think about it, you didn't get a card. <laughs> yeah, she kept poking me in the hip. Your mom got a card, all right? Uh, but yeah, I, I told her, hey, thanks for taking care of me. They wheeled me into physical therapy. I said, who's going to be pushing me around for the next 72 hours? This, this little girl's like, it's me. I said, here, I got this card for you. And she said, what? I said, it's a thank you card. She said, nobody says thank you for what I'm about to do to you. I said, I know, that's why I'm giving it to you now <laughs> instead of later. Now, that changed, in my, one, it changed my whole perception of that circumstance. But two, while I was at home for the next few months going through recovery, I got a card back from every one of those teams. Thanks for thinking of us. Thank, the, the doctor's secretary wrote the first one. Hey, thanks for thinking about Dr. Goodson. He really appreciated that. That meant a lot. Um, the operating team, card, and, and everybody in there wrote been 25 signatures on a little card that just said, hope you're recovering well. Thank you for encouraging us on the day of your surgery. Nothing major. And, and so that, did I baptize anybody? Did I, did I bring him to church? No, but you know what? I witnessed to him, even lying in a bed and being sick. And so we're in the midst of facing stuff like this. We need to be prepared to still be a good reflection of Christ. He's going to see us through that issue. We also have to understand this. If we have sinned and failed, no matter how terribly, we must repent. We need to get back to the task of witnessing. 
Overcoming the circumstances of having failed and sinned. We need to just overcome that. We need to get back to what we're called to do. Sharing all the good we can in order to reach all we can with the message of Christ. All that we do must be done for Christ. He alone is worthy. He died for us. Bearing our sin. Taking our punishment. Freeing us to live perfectly before God for all eternity. We talked about what that looks like last week. I talked about being clothed in righteousness. The world doesn't know this. Sometimes the world doesn't want to know this. The world doesn't want to know that the cure for the cancer of sin is available to them. And it's been available to them for a long time. Folks, it's our job as Christians. We must share the good news. We must share it regardless of our circumstances. Whether you're having a good day or a bad day, share the good news. We must always remember we have the power to conquer every circumstance through Jesus Christ. And for Jesus Christ. We're not the victim of circumstance. Because because of Christ in our lives, we're the overcomers of circumstance. All for Jesus. We should not allow our circumstances to discourage others. We should use our circumstances to encourage others, especially non-believers. Paul spread the gospel by encouraging other believers to be more fearless in witnessing. How did he do this? It's because his dynamic witness to the guards... And the converts among the imperial guard were being talked about all over the city. And apparently the new converts among the soldiers are beginning to share Christ with other soldiers. Paul's fellow ministers who visited him, Timothy and others, were sharing news about Paul and witnessing themselves. You see, Paul was allowed visitors. And so when he got his visitors, now this the same guard that's shackled to him has to sit there and listen to him, encourage every visitor that comes to him. This, these guards that are shackled to him, they, they hear this. Many of the believers in Rome visited him. And, and he says in, his, in this letter to the Philippian church, he says, I shared Christ with them, boldly shared Christ with them. In Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, it tells us this. It says, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Paul's dynamic witness for the gospel of Christ made a strong impact, not just on the Christians, but on the guards, on all of those who were around him. His choice to witness, in spite of his horrible circumstances, stirred many believers to become much more confident in their own witnessing. Many of the believers began to witness wherever they were, no matter what their circumstances. You see, Paul has shown us that a mature witness shares the gospel no matter the circumstances. And now he's going to show us that a mature witness is not jealous. There was, there was a little bit of jealousy that happened while he is in prison. Let's look at verses 15 through 18. It says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. Those of you who are reading Philippians, have you, when you came across that, were you wondering, how are they preaching through envy and strife? Did you, did you scratch your head a little bit as you read those verses? I did. Verse 16 says this, The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause my distress and my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. This is a strange experience shared by Paul here. Unfortunately, it's an experience that's repeated even in churches and among Christians and believers today. It's jealousy. Envy. 
preachers in Rome were jealous of Paul. They were envious of Paul. Now, remember, he's the one in jail. He's the one who's, who's shackled with a guard 24-7. He's the one who can't leave and go be with his family. He's the one that can't uh, go out to eat or whatever else they would be doing. He's not going down to the river's edge. He's the one in jail. But it seems they were jealous of the results that he was having because he was continuing to preach no matter what his circumstance. They were jealous because he was getting favorable attention. They felt that he was gaining prestige from society and the social circles of the community. They were jealous because of the support and the loyalty the believers were giving him. They were jealous of the attention he was receiving. Oh, he may be in jail, but everybody's coming to see Paul. Ooh. I don't know how you could say that and, and, and mean it. <laughs> it's like, whoa. So many other members, they were jealous of the position that he was gaining as the leader of the Christian community in Rome. Now, something we need to understand here is that, that these people that were jealous of him, these were preachers. These were true followers of Christ. They were not Judaizers. They weren't the false teachers and preachers who followed Paul around and opposed him and would try to trick him. These were like his own people. These, these were genuine preachers who were in, in ministries and in and around the metropolis of Rome who were also preaching the gospel. And we know this because Paul says he agrees with their preaching, with what they were preaching and what they were teaching. He says, I agree. I just regret their opposition to me. They were opposed to Paul instead of supporting him. And they were speaking out against him, hoping to silence some of his influence, to, to get rid of him. You see, not all of the preachers in the area opposed Paul. We know Timothy and others went to visit him, and, and some were encouraging. Those, those were encouraging their members. Show Christian love to Paul. Go take him a meal. Go pay his rent. Go start, cut his lawn. He can't go out and mow. I don't know if you mow the yard or what, but just go serve Paul. They visited him in prison. They supported him in his ministry of proclaiming Christ. How often has a similar scene been repeated throughout the church in today's society? How many of us are repeating this scene right now, maybe with a co-worker or a family member? Or, uh, how many believers and Christian workers get jealous and envious of the position of someone else in the office? Maybe of the attention or the support and loyalty that they receive. Maybe How many of us are jealous that because someone is, is getting that promotion and you're like, well, why did I get skipped over? Why did he get it? How many of us begin to question and speak against one of the Lord's servants because of things like that. Oh, we, we make sure to speak quietly. I only told a couple people that I didn't like what Joe was doing. Nevertheless, we speak out negatively about fellow Christians. God forgive us. We do it. We all do it. We've all done it. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember that we are all ministers and workers for Christ. And that was Paul's thing. He was like, hey, amen, they're still preaching the gospel. But man, it makes my, my heart sad. That they're, they're just trying to undermine what I'm doing. We're all called to preach and teach the gospel. Now, we're each going to do it differently. The narrow road is hard enough, is a hard enough road to walk. We need to make sure we're encouraging and supporting each other as we walk along it. Not trying to bump each other off of it. That's, not, that's what's happening with Paul. He's already in prison. His audience is already narrowed to whoever comes to see him or whoever happens to be bound to him for the next eight hours or whatever their shift was. And these preachers are upset because other people are coming. Everybody should have been going to him. That, making that little light in that house shine for Jesus brighter and brighter. The Lord doesn't require big names and big ministries and big followers from all of us. But what he does require is faithfulness 
in the ministry that He has called you to serve at. There's no room in your life for jealousy and envy in the Holy Spirit. They won't all fit. Let's choose to be faithful, support all of the ministries of the gospel of Christ. Let's choose to encourage one another, not just in this room, but the Christians you work with, the Christians you go to school with, the, Christian, the people you know that are Christians in the places where you shop. Find ways to encourage them as well. Paul has shown us today that a mature witness shares the gospel, that a mature witness is not jealous or envious of what others have been blessed with. And the last thing that he shares with us today is, was my favorite thing. He shows us in his letter to the Philippian church that a mature disciple possesses the assurance of a happy ending. We are talking about eternity here, folks. Let's remember Paul's circumstances. He was in prison, but he was always preaching Christ no matter what his, what his circumstances were. And because he was faithful to his call, God was honoring his preaching. Amazing things were happening. Unbelievers from all over were being saved and believers were being encouraged to step forward and become bolder witnesses for Christ. That's, that's my goal this year as we focus on the foundation that we're building on. My goal at Huntsville Christian Church is that, that unbelievers from all over our area would be saved through you and that you guys as believers would be encouraged to step forward and become bolder witnesses every day for Christ. Let's look at verses 19 through 21. Paul says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And verse 21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. First off, he's telling the Philippian church he knows this whole prison and trial circumstance will turn out with his deliverance because of their prayers. He says, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope. Notice he doesn't say, um, well, I'll finish that verse. He's, he's My expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And that first part, he says, this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say this will turn out that I won't die, that I won't be put to death. But he uses the word deliverance. He's kind of saying, hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to be delivered from this physical pain and torment, or I'm going to be delivered and I'm going to continue preaching the gospel. Either way, my deliverance is going to happen because of your prayers, church and church of the Philippi, Philippian church, these people. He says, it's going to turn out for my deliverance. Has anyone ever said to you, hey, I know this is going to be okay because I know you're praying for me. Let's become people who are known. Let's become people who are known because we pray. Encouraging others no matter what their circumstance. Don't, don't leave it with, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll cover you in prayer, sister. Grab their hand and say the prayer. Lord, whatever's going on, may you be glorified in this circumstance, in this situation. That way, two things have happened. One, you've begun to appeal before them or for them before the Lord. Two, you didn't forget about it. I think one of the worst things we can do as Christians is tell somebody we're going to pray and then forget about it. And they call you three or four days later. They go, hey, everything went well with the surgery. 
Great! That's good. I was hoping that would go well when I maybe prayed. It happens. Take that opportunity. We need to be like the Philippian church. Let's become known as people who pray. And not only that, but people who pray. When we pray, we encourage others in our prayers. Paul doesn't know how things are going to turn out. God hasn't told him that. God said he's going to suffer for him. He just knows that however it's going to turn out, he's going to be delivered from this circumstance. And that while he's in it, he's going to choose to honor God. That's what Paul knew. And then he says this. Verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that with me? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that honestly and mean it and begin to prepare to live it? Do you understand what you just said? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Do you really understand the, the gravity of the words I just made you say? Here's what it meant for Paul. Paul has one great commitment in both life and death. And it's the first part for me to live as Christ. His commitment is Jesus Christ. And when he says, for me to live as Christ, he's letting people know that he is presenting himself, his body, as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, Paul was not a perfect man. He struggled to yield the parts of his body, every part of his body, to Christ as a tool for righteousness. He struggled to control his mind, to control every thought and to focus every thought on Jesus Christ and the great virtues of, his, of a life following him. When Paul says, for me to live as Christ, he's saying, I'm committed to work for and love, excuse me, to work for love and justice within all society. To live as Christ, Paul gave every moment of his life to reach and minister to as many people as possible during his life on earth. What does to live as Christ mean for you? What are you living for? Are you living for money? For possessions? Are you living for retirement? It's almost here. I'm going to be there. Uh, when I get to retirement, Lord, I'm going to do all kinds of cool stuff for you. Start doing stuff for him now. What are you living for? If you're living for those things, money, possession, what do you do in a few years when you die? What do you do when that day comes and it's coming? I promise you this. No one gets out of life alive. It's true. If you're living for comfort and money or recognition and power, uh, these things are not going to save you. But you know what it is? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He knew that everything on the earth was aging and passing away, including himself. And so Paul reached out for a savior, a person who could save him and give him an, an eternal world that would never age, that would never pass away. This is the reason that he grabbed a hold of Jesus Christ and refused to let go. This is the reason he didn't fear death because he committed to living his life for the one who defeated death. We don't have to fear death if we are living our life for Jesus Christ. As we come to our response time this morning, the question I have for you is this. What are you living for? Who were you living for? Because like it or not, that's also who or what you'll die for. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He made a way for you and I to live with him forever in heaven. And many of us in this room have stood up and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and many of us in this room have been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Many of us are still not living out our lives with that thought that to live is Christ 
to die as gain. We may have done those other things. We were sincere when it took place. But somewhere along the way, we got caught up in the face value of things. That's why we get jealous and envious. That's why we backslide or stop living for Christ and live for ourselves or our jobs or our toys. It's time for us to put our toys away and become the mature witnesses we are called to be. We should have a desire to share the gospel. We should have a desire to grow spiritually from believer to disciple. As for Huntsville Christian Church, it's time to stand and say it and mean it and live out. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever that looks like for you, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to God's word accordingly? So this week, I want to encourage you to go reflecting on what it means for you to not only say, but live out Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. I want to encourage you to read this verse every morning this week before you leave the house and then pray about it on your way to school, on your way to work. It'll take you 30 seconds, not even. Read it, pray about it while you're driving. And as you go about your week, I think you'll find the strength and courage needed to begin to work toward that process of being a mature witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us are going, well, I'm not yet a mature witness. It's okay. We all have to start somewhere. So start with that verse every morning. Read that verse, pray about it, and then seek out opportunities to share something about Jesus with somebody. Will you sing this last song with us?